these next three weeks, I'm going to be talking about resurrection. But I'm not going to be talking about Jesus' resurrection. Sometimes we, we know in the back of our head, we just don't think about it in the front of our brains. That Jesus actually raised three different people back to life in his lifetime. And to me, that is a show of God's compassion. It is a foreshadowing of Christ's own resurrection, and it is also a foreshadowing of our resurrection for those who die in Christ will be raised in the last day. Amen? That is what Scripture teaches. So we're going to look at these. Today we're going to be over in John 11. If you've got your Bible and you want to flip over there, we'll uh, pick up with that in just a few minutes. Now, I don't know if you know the name Bruce Firestein or not. Bruce Firestein was um, uh, an author, a humorist. And uh, back in the 80s, he asked a question, what is a real man? And in asking that question, he decided to write a book. And that book was about a guy by the name of Flex Crush. Flex Crush, a 220-pound nuclear waste driver who claimed to be one of the last real men in existence. His list of things that real men do is real men eat meat and potatoes. Real men hunt big game. Real men bust Broncos. Real men realize that while birds and flowers and poetry and small children do not add to the quality of life in the same manner as Super Bowl and a six-pack of Bud, he has learned to appreciate them anyway. But real men don't know how to cook. Real men don't cry. Real men don't feel things like sorrow and pity and love and warmth and sincerity. Real men do not relate to anything. They do not have meaningful dialogues and they do not talk about personal space or shared experiences. And above all else, According to Flex Crush, real men don't eat quiche. (laughs) But what really is a real man? I think it gets summed up in one small verse. Jesus wept. Two little words that have a tremendous impact on our view of what manhood really is. Now, many of you, especially if you grew up in the church, you're familiar with this little verse. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. 
But rarely is much more said about it than that. Do you even know why Jesus wept? Oh, sure, you know that it has something to do with uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, but, but do you know why he wept? You see, Jesus knew the outcome ahead of time. He knew what it was going to be. He knew he was going to be raising Lazarus. So why did he weep? Why he wept? Honestly, John never specifies why. But more importantly we're going to discover why we should be thankful that we have a God who will weep for us. John 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now notice, Lazarus is not just a casual acquaintance to Jesus. He is a personal friend. In fact, his family are personal friends of Jesus. Let me ask you this. When you hear that a close personal friend is in need, how do you respond? Do you rush to their side? Do you sit for hours with them in the hospital? Do you seek to comfort their family? Wouldn't we naturally assume that Jesus would rush back to Lazarus' bedside? And yet, that's not what happened. Down in verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, if he loved this family so deeply, why delay? Was it because of the impact he was having? You look back in chapter 10, down around verse 41, 42, and you know what you find? He's baptizing a lot of people. He's bringing a lot of people to God. Or was it because of the earlier run-in that he had with the Jewish leadership who had picked up stones and were looking to kill him? That's there in chapter 10 as well. We know from chapter 11, verse 8, that his disciples were fearful about going back 
to Jerusalem. And if that wasn't on Jesus' mind, it was on their mind. Or was it that Jesus was allowing enough time to pass that absolutely no one could refute the miracle that was about to happen? When time was right, Jesus told the disciples that Lazarus had died and that he was going to where Lazarus was. Pick up here at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you what you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Amen? Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. Martha, with this interchange with Jesus, knows truth. But what's her heart doing? It is grieving. But she goes out and gets Mary. And then Mary comes to Jesus. And down at verse 32, we read this. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever noticed that Mary and Martha said exactly the same thing to Jesus? Jesus had talked to Martha about the hope of knowing the Christ, yet she and Mary were still focused on one thing. And if you think about it, you would be too. Their brother was dead. You see, in those moments, Mary and Martha, they didn't need any lecture about how glorious this was going to be for God. They wanted him there. They wanted God there to suffer with them. 
They needed a tangible God to, to touch, to feel, to hug, to mourn, and to cry with them. And at the least, couldn't, couldn't he have, have been there for the burial four days earlier? Haven't we asked those same questions at some point in our life? How many times have we asked, where are you, God? Why is this happening? Why doesn't God hurry up and and do something? Uh, Where are you, Jesus? Where has Jesus disappointed you? You've prayed, but there's not been any answers. You've pleaded, but God delayed. You've waited, but he hasn't arrived. You've held the funeral, and he didn't even attend, or at least so it seemed. Where are you waiting for God to show up today to be with you, to be God for you? Friends, I don't know why Jesus waits. I don't know why God waits. And no amount of theologizing or trying to explain can satisfy us while we wait. But you know what? Something critically important happens while we wait. Life happens while we wait. Hope is tested while we wait. Faith is tested and proved while we wait. Yet we still have this nagging question, why did Jesus weep? He already knew the rest of the story. He already knew that Lazarus would be raised and that Mary and Martha would be joyful again. So why did he weep? Lots of people have put forth possible answers. Perhaps he was weeping because the crowd lacked faith. Certainly he could look look deep into their hearts and he realized that they didn't understand him or his mission. They knew that Jesus could restore sight to the blind. Could he not restore life? Of course he could do that. Is this the reason why he wept? Or perhaps it's because 
he hated to bring Lazarus back from heaven. He knew heaven's this wonderful place and, and he was crying because he had to bring him back to earth in order to show his glory. You know, it's a grand place that God has prepared for those who are faithful, who live and die in Jesus. Make no mistake about that. But is that why he was weeping? Some have even suggested that he was weeping tears of rage at the evil of death and sin. And he grieved because of the sinfulness of humanity and that death followed sin into the world. And we do know that Jesus does agonize and pray over sin. Some have suggested that Jesus was weeping for himself He knew this miracle that he was about to perform would inflame the situation in Jerusalem and turn the Pharisees even more against him. In fact, John says that's exactly what happened. So was he crying in anticipation of his own death? We know that he did suffer and agony and His sweat fell from him in the garden like it was his very life force being pulled from him. And that time would certainly come when he would die. Yet, friends, it seems to me to be very unlike Jesus to be that self-absorbed at a time when there were others who needed him, who were hurting and were grieving. Now, all of these are feasible options as to why Jesus wept. And I remind you, John is not specific as to why. He he leaves it to us to draw our own conclusions. And personally, what I see is the human side of Jesus coming through. I I see a, a fifth and what I consider to be a more viable reason why he cried. John 11, 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who would come alongside of her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. And then there's that verse. Jesus wept. Did you catch that line there? It's in verse 33. Where Jesus saw her, saw Mary weeping as well as everyone around her and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I think that's the answer. 
I think Jesus cried because he cared. He was moved to compassion by their grief. And he joined them in their grief. He cried for the same reasons why we cry at funerals. He grieved with Mary and Martha because Jesus loved them and loved Lazarus. I believe he grieved because Lazarus died. He identified with their pain. He understood their tears. He is truly God and he is truly human. And there are times when we need to let him be human. That's what friends do. They cry when you cry. It's human. Paul over in Romans 12, 15 tells us that we are to weep with those who weep. And I see that's what Jesus is doing. There's a story I came across of a little girl who went from her home over to a neighbor's house where her little friend had had died. And when she came back, her father saw her coming back from there and, and questioned her. He said, well, well why, did, why did you go over there? To comfort her mother, said the child. And the father said, well, Honey, what could you do to comfort her? And the little girl said, I climbed into her lap and I helped her cry. How Jesus-like that is. She didn't offer any advice. Not a funny story. Not a piece of chocolate cake. Didn't try to to cheer her up, but in that moment, she joined her and helped her to cry. I believe that's why Jesus cried. He was helping Mary cry. Yeah, he knew the miracle that was going to take place, yet he had compassion for them in their sorrow. If there is comfort in the presence of Jesus, my friends, there must also certainly be compassion. Jesus wept. Two words that speak volumes about who Jesus is. Friends, I would submit that Jesus is still weeping for us. Or should I say, weeping with us right now. He knows of your struggles. He knows of what's going on. And he's right there with you. When we cry, he is right there beside us doing the same thing.
those two words, Jesus wept, showing just how much of a real man he was. And I want to be just like him. Shedding tears at the right time for the right reasons. Friends, that may, it may indicate that you're becoming more like Christ. And you know what? The things that are hurting you right now in this very moment, whatever you're struggling with, God is hurting there with you. And he's deeply moved and troubled in spirit, just as he was with Mary. And that's a good thing. Friends, let's be thankful that we have a God that hurts with us. That he cries with us. That we have a God who would not be afraid to eat quiche. Father God, we thank you for your love and compassion. Certainly, Father, for that ultimate expression that you did on the cross where you died for us so that we did not have to die a permanent, eternal death. But Father, we're thankful that you are in this world and that you are moving in this world and that you are aware of all the slings and arrows that Satan, that life throws at us and that we can be assured that in your spirit, in your spirit of truth, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, that you are right here doing life with us. Father, you know that there are times when we just aren't really sure why you seem distant. But we are thankful, Father, that we know that you are here and that you care. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.